Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who along with Daryl Morey co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. Thanks for listening and enjoy. So my name is Ike Zhang. I am a first year MBA student at MIT Sloan. And it is with my great pleasure to introduce our next panel, which is How Big Is Your Jumbotron? Optimizing the Venue Experience. Uh, today, we have an incredible panel of speakers. First, we have Jim Nolan, who is the COO of Craft Sports and Entertainment. We also have Kat Harwood, who is the Senior Manager of Deloitte Sports and Strategy Practice. Next, we have Mike Shane, who is the Chief Business Officer of Comcast Spectacor. Next, we have Peter Fagan, who is the president of the Milwaukee Bucks. And the panel will be moderated by Josh Walker, who is the co-founder and president of Sports Innovation Lab. The panel will run 45 minutes and another additional 10 minutes for questions. If the audience have any questions, please submit them through Twitter via our panel hashtag, Venue Analytics. And the panel, the questions with the most mentions on Twitter will be selected by the moderator and will be asked to the panel. Without further ado, please welcome the panels and Josh. Thanks, Ike. Very efficient for an MBA. Three minutes, well done. Um, thank you guys for coming. Uh, today we are going to talk about uh, the size of the Jumbotron exclusively. We're just going to talk about the Jumbotron for a few, uh, few minutes here. Um, so my name is Josh Walker. I am the president and co-founder of the Sports Innovation Lab. At the Sports Innovation Lab, we believe it's our job to help the industry design breakthrough fan experiences using technology. Um, so when I did prep with this panel, uh, we talked about really three parts of the fan experience. Before the game, during the game, and after the game. And how do they think about the world in terms of bringing those fans together um, and creating that anticipation that fills the venue with the right type of enthusiasm and excitement so that what you see on TV or what you feel when you buy that premium ticket is mind-blowing, breakthrough fan experience. So as I move through the panel and we talk about what's happening in Philadelphia, what's happening in Milwaukee, what's happening right here in, in Boston, the idea is that there are decisions that they have to make as operators that have to be very focused on what fans care about. Okay, So that's really what you're about to hear. The Jumbotron may make its way into the conversation. Um, but this is really about the live fan experience. So I'm going to start with you, Jim. We'll make our way down. I think that there's something that's really powerful about being in your hometown. Um, you probably have a lot of uh, fans in the audience. Um, what do you guys do to really drive the right level of fans into the venue to begin with so that you have the right chemistry for a live sporting event? Um, you know, I, th I think at the top, it's a... Um you know, as an operator of a venue, you know, we can't rely on the performance of the teams on the field. So it's, it's about setting a standard within the venue that people want to come back when the team doesn't perform well in the field. Um, so it's, it's kind of a consistent drive to improve the building. And I know we'll get into a little more detail, but um, we opened in 20, uh, 2002, uh, and we went through uh, one master site revision that started in 2013, and we had a heavy lift in 15 and 16. And we're starting that cycle again. And it's about reacting to what we hear from the fans, 
um, whether it's surveys, whether it's focus groups, um, whether it's just one-on-one -on -one communication, and saying how do we, how do we update our venue uh, to meet that? Uh, and I think something that we're all gonna talk about, um, sport, watching sport has become a communal experience. Uh, if we go back 10 years ago, our demographic was heavy male, uh, low female, uh, and people came and they sat in their seats. And their, their community was the person to their right and the person to that and their left. And that's went out the window. Um, our fans uh, want to come to the building and just consume it differently. They want to be able to stand in a place and watch the game with friends who are sitting somewhere else. They want to find cool places to post on social media. Uh, they, want, they want fantasy stats. Um, they want bars, they want indoor spaces, they want to be close to the field. And so as we listen to our fan, you know, we're constantly updating Gillette Stadium to meet their expectations. And uh, you mentioned surveys and, and you know, constantly listening to them through traditional methods. Um, Amy Latimer is here from TD Garden and we know Jen Compton really well there as well. They've been starting to use technology to observe where fans are, you know, the crowd flow. Um, things like that. Are, are those some of the tools that you're bringing to bear as you're trying to anticipate what's happening in the future? Um, we, haven't, uh, we haven't done a holistic look at that. Uh, it's something that's on our radar. Um, we, have done, we have done things with technology like, like uh, bathroom lines. Uh, we monitored bathroom lines with cameras to help direct people to where they want to go. Um, but, for, but for us, I think from a flow perspective, uh, it really started kind of as a visual. Where, where are the pinch points um, if for people to get from one place to another, number one? And then number two, uh, we can see it, in, and this is where technology comes in, but we can see volumes of sales real time uh, in our concessions business. Mm -hmm. you know, so if we, see, if we see things picking up in one area, it allows us to react to it. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of that, but we haven't done the, the holistic vision where you know, we're, we're watching the flows and, and, and looking at it from that, but it is on the radar. But using transaction data, concession data, even ticketing data to give you a sense of where the, the choke points are and things like that. So Kat, yeah. um, in your business, in your role, um, you, you don't operate a venue, but you have lots of clients uh, that do. Um, what, what are you really looking at and how are you bringing your lens of, of using data to your clients and, and to help them anticipate what the fans want? So it's interesting, building on what you said and this idea of the data and the holistic view, right? That's really the entry point for us with most of our clients is starting at the beginning, looking at what the specific needs are for their fans in that demographic. So we usually start by developing the personas, the different personas of the people that are gonna visit and all of the journey mapping so you can have that top-down view. And then trying to tie in the existing data technology and architecture with some of the new advances. So things like being able to beacon Right, put in actual physical beacons all throughout the physical space. So you can take that concessions data and then you can also see the movement of crowds as you're pinging off folks' phones. And you can build a more robust sort of profile of each of your visitors. And then you can start to do targeted and more personalized interaction and engagement with them. And to your point, the fan's changing, right? We like to say that now we're seeing more of the casual fan is what we call it. I think I'm getting some. Feedback. Oh, I think there's just like a dog in the All right. <laughs> um, <coughs> right, and so as stadiums are becoming more district developments, how do you convince that person who maybe is a casual fan and might go to a game occasionally to really enter the stadium and engage in, um, in the event that's happening on the field in times when you know, your team may not necessarily be winning? But so we really take that holistic approach and help to guide our clients through developing a strategy to 
to tailor the experience. And, and I think when you step outside the stadium, um, uh, we were kind of the front runner in terms of building a development around a stadium. Um, and that's, that's the new trend that you know, I think everyone sees you know, loud and clear. Uh, so for us, when you talk about the overall fan journey, having things to do outside of the game experience, you know, before and during and after the game has really added, has really added value to us. So you know you're going to commit a long day, particularly to an NFL game. Um, but when you, when you know you're making that commitment, having options for how you want to consume the entire day has made, you know, the, the experience at Gillette a lot better. Yeah. Mike, we work with a lot of um, venue operators that have the flexibility of using space around their venue to create these mixed use districts, right? There's a bowling alley there now, and there's an esports thing there now, and there's all this stuff around the venue so it can be used 365. How, how do you think about that in Philadelphia? And, and, and do you have the same flexibility to think about a fan journey, as Kat puts it, um, that really extends beyond game day? Well, Philadelphia is interesting because we have, um, we are south of the city, and the, all of the sports buildings are in one place, but somewhat removed from downtown. And it, it is a destination. Um, one of the benefits is we have all the parking in the world. Um, the, one of the downsides is you have to drive to get there. there there's, a, there's a subway, but most people drive. Um, and, and I think the, the idea of the, the ballpark, the arena, the stadium district um, is absolutely coming to Philadelphia. We, we've started down that path and, and there are some plans and, and I think that we have a, a unique opportunity to, to build that. I, I was at a, um, a conference last year and um, Ted Leonsis spoke and I'm going to paraphrase about 45 minutes of the topics that he covered into one key takeaway and that was that he wants to remove the concept of doors open and game over. That there is something being programmed in and around the arena, the ballpark, the stadium, all day long, and that there's something to do, and just now so happens that there's a game going on, and we'll shift from doing whatever we were doing to what we were doing, uh, to, to what we're doing next. Um, you know, I, I came up through the, the ticket sales world, and um, during that time, learning the customer and what makes them tick, you know, really has, has benefited me um, and any sales trainer um, that, that you're working with, the first thing that they'll tell you, to Jim's point, is you cannot sell wins and losses. You can't sell the team. You have to sell the experience. And um, some of them will, will really dumb it down and, and, and give the examples of, look, if you're a business and you're buying this to entertain your clients, if you close that deal tonight, it doesn't matter what happened on the court, win or lose, that day was a win for you. If you're buying this to spend time with your friends or your family, if you create those memories and if you have that quality time together without cell phones and without the interruption of the world, it doesn't matter if your team lost by 20, the, the, the day was a win. And so being able to create that experience and expand that on the front end, on the back end, and then give more opportunities inside is, is really where we've been trying to go for a long time. And, and Pete, I, I think you should use that opportunity to talk about how much winning is happening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't say it wasn't nice. <laughs> it wasn't a bad thing. Yeah. Exactly. Um, what, what's going on um, around your arena and what are some of the decisions you're making when we think about how the fan experience is changing? We, we at the Sports Innovation Lab, we call it the fluid fan. And to Kat's point about the idea that they're casual fans or that you can have a persona or even looking at historical ticket sales, like it's harder to anticipate what the fan wants because they're coming for a live experience and they may not be coming for that diehard watch the game on the court. How do you guys think about that? 
Well, I think you take the traditional avid to, to the passive, you yeah. know, and then you've got the casual in the middle. And we say, how do we take that journey and really kind of create a stickiness, you know, whether it's, whether it's in the plaza, whether it's in the arena, whether it's, it's the, the whole world has changed for us. So we're one of the first uh, open access arenas in the world, like where we basically, our concourses open up to the bowl. And what that's created is, and we, we'd love to take credit for it, but as, as we've seen it evolve, you know, we have a thousand standing room only tickets that literally people are journeying, you know, literally going around the arena, picking different spots, picking different bars to hang out at. It's, you know, there's the casual fan, but you still have to have that balance for like, where's that avid fan? What's the experience? How are you game centric? So, so you're really kind of balancing all these worlds with a thousand points of contact with trying to surprise and delight every time you're in. How do you have best of class with continuous improvement? And then how do you grow the business? How do you drive revenue? like in a big way, which, which sometimes we're a little bit landlocked in our business. So for us, as we continue to grow this neighborhood where people are living and people are working and people are playing and control their journey, how do we equate that to revenue growth and business growth? Well, I, I love that because that, at the end of the day, we can talk about the emotion of sports, but there is you know, the bottom line that we have to worry about when it comes to growing the revenue for these businesses because they are businesses. I don't admire your positions at all because it sounds like the number of fan journeys is infinite now, right? You got standing room only, maybe you got a fantasy zone, maybe somebody in your state passed gambling and now you have a sports book that's like off-site or on-site. There's all kinds of things that are happening now. How do you guys think about the unknown, right? That the idea is that you can't take what normally was the fan journey, they walk through the gate, they get their bag checked, they buy a beer and a hot dog and they sit in their seat for four hours. You have standing room only. You, you know, if you're the Oakland A's, you have a membership model where, you, you know, they can choose to come to the game or not. Um, how do you guys address that? It, anybody can take this, but like how are your organizations starting to organize for the idea that there is this level of uncertainty? Well, I'll just say it's the greatest opportunity in the world because there's innovation, there's the ability to adapt and really customize for these can groups you, of these fans. Can you give guys a good example of like what you, when you think of your organization where you really innovated and said, yeah, you know, we do, we do recognize this opportunity and we're gonna go do this. Well, take standing room, which we mentioned. I mean, here is an opt-in program where people can pay a few hundred dollars a month to have the option to come and have a standing room position at Pfizer Forum, like when they want. And we probably avail it to about five to 600 people. They rotate in our per cap and our return on these, on these folks are incredible to get in. And they are demanding and customizing the experience, which by the way, there are other seats available. There are traditional seats in the arena available, and they are opting to kind of have the standing room only experience. And by the way, now we know, and, and John knows that we, we build these infrastructures. Surprise, these are the same people that might like to experience a concert the same way when we've got Elton John playing, you know, a week later, which is kind of interesting. So sports is giving you that visibility into how you would structure other live events. No question. Yeah. Well, and, and I think also, looking at the differences in, in the groups of customers. I mean, it's, yes, every customer has their own journey, but there are, there are logical groupings that can be made. And you know, I think where, where venues have to be careful in some ways is that certain, certain segments of the population are not only gonna not like what another one likes, but actually might be turned off by it. And so you know, what, one of the things that, that a lot of venues are doing and, and that we've done in Philadelphia is we've created zones 
and we've had areas that are going to have certain amenities that appeal to to different segments of the of the population, and um, you know, giving them that opportunity to experience the game their way with people who are experiencing it the same way, and you know, to to, to the point that was made, whether that's a standing room only, more social environment um, that is more uh, focused on the food and beverage and the the art and the other things that go along with that versus the hardcore fan who is there to watch and not miss a single moment of the game and if someone walked in front of them they would be upset about it um, down to the business client who wants the higher end the game is secondary they want a quiet place to be able to sit and have their conversation so I think that looking at your at your fan base and understanding what those groups are and then having something that addresses and is for each one of them is important as well. And then obviously not as an operator, but building on that, I think what's really important is figuring out how to communicate with all those different segments so everyone knows what the options are and they can opt in, right? Yeah, and I was gonna say that, Cat um, kind of took the words right out of my mouth. Um, you know, it's the power of information. So um, if I take an NFL game, for example, the NFL, when they, they shifted their model to have the NFL ticket exchange where everyone's selling their tickets everywhere, um, we have seen, one, a huge increase in mobile, which we had to react to. Um, we have seen all these new people coming into the building, but having data, first from a journey perspective, we reach out to every one of those fans before they come and say, this is what to expect on an event day, and if there are particular things we want them to pay attention to, you know, parking and traffic is one, where to go, um, you know, when to come to the gates, things like that. So we, we're able to communicate directly to them, but then on the back end, we survey. You know, so we're serving the people who are surveying the people who bought on the exchange. Um, and some are existing customers and some are not, but that helps us understand, you know, how we want to position ourselves on a go forward basis. And the other thing I think is it's flexibility. Um, and, and, and Pete talked about it with having rooms for standing room only people. We had standing room only uh, people. We had as many as 4,000 if you went back to the early 2000s. Um, we got rid of them and we made those standing room, because we're an open concept too, so the concourse right out to the seats. Uh, we took advantage of that space because we knew our, our season ticket holders wanted to use it themselves. Um, so by creating flexible zones that are open to everyone allows people to kind of seek their own level. Um, and in our next wave of development, uh, we're looking to do even more of it, including starting the summer. Let, let's shift gears a little bit and let's start talking about the venue as a media platform. Um, one of the big themes for us in our research is looking at how this industry is obsessed about getting people off the couch and into the venue, right? Everybody says that. We, we need to create an experience that gets them off the couch because they have these huge screen TVs and they can have their beer and they're fine. So now you look at the venue and you're like, this is a media platform. You know, the theme of our, our, our panel is the size of the Jumbotron, but there's a very good chance that your fans are sitting in their seats watching replays on here, maybe chatting, certainly Instagramming. They're doing something that's gonna connect them, either take them away or connect them to what's happening in the venue. When you guys think about the idea that the media experience is becoming part of the game, the personal media experience is becoming part of that game, what are you doing differently that you would have done five years ago to accommodate for that behavior? Well, I'd say one is, you know, a lot of people don't realize that a production, an NBA production internally in an arena is a three hour scripted to the second. Mm -hmm. 
production. You know, so that's so there's traditional. A yeah. There's a run a show, there's a producer, there's a director, but what's changed dramatically and, and we built a new arena is, is kind of the mobile aspect of it. So how quickly can you respond? How are you communicating? What's the engagement? Highlights is a great example. Yeah. I mean, we're now in the cloud in real time being able to shoot out, you know, kind of in arena highlights. You Does know, that come to an app motion. or you just put that on social and you're like, they'll find it? We do, we do everything we can through the app. It's just because it's such a great controlling mechanism to, to kind of create stickiness and engagement. And we, and we like our social vehicles like as well, but it gives you kind of the content and the control. And by the way, now everything's talking to each other. So our center hung or our jumbotron is, is parallel and, and kind of a, a neat experience like our mobile, which is communicating outside to all of our LED and to our sports bar. and. Kind of, it's all one integrated system. And have you guys, and have you guys in particular, seen the breezy and the fan cams? These um, newer startups that allow you to control the, the jumbotron cameras and with your phone and take a selfie. Yeah, they're great. Like snap, snap lenses, and kind of what's been happening, like in real time, is is really changing the experience and what engagement is like. And for us, like you know, we'll tell you like how do you get that younger demo? You know, what is like how do we get that 12, you know, to 24? Those are great ways to do it. They're engaging in a big way. Things changing in Philadelphia because of these pesky little phones. Well, and and phones phones are part of it, but I think that the to the point of screens everywhere and and the the connectivity between all of it. I think the one of the first shifts you saw um, that really started a few years ago and is and is continuing now is taking the on court on ice experience to the concourses as well. People spend a lot of time out there and. We as operators don't want to discourage that because when they're out there, they're typically spending dollars with us. And so, um, as part of the the renovation that we're uh, that we've been going through at the Wells Fargo Center, the the answer has typically been if there's three square feet of wall, put a screen on it. And if there's 100 square feet of wall, put a screen on it. And we have, um, th th there isn't much area on our concourse um, or in our bowl that is not covered with screen right now. And um, it creates some back-end uh, logistical challenges. And while it used to be a show, now it's a show with, we've got 84 different size surfaces. So if you're creating one graphic that you want to be a full immersive takeover, you've got to design that 84 times. And so you have to be mindful when you're going through that, but the, the reward is, is, is worth the, the challenge to get there when you're able to, to make that holistic for the fans. And then the second screen concept is, is spot on. And uh, we've been working with the team at Disney Streaming Services who, who runs the NHL app and, and, and all the team apps. And they are constantly looking at ways. Hockey is a, is a difficult one to take to an app. Um, I think it's the, the flow of the game. Um, there isn't as much scoring as there is in basketball to be able to report on shots missed, taken. Um, baseball, where you've got the, the, the real-time look at the batter's box and every pitch being thrown. Um, the hockey's still trying to figure that out, and I think that that second screen is going to be important. They're, they're experimenting with things all the time. Yeah, uh, we know that uh, Jen Compton and, and The Garden, they're working with a company called Venue Ties. We, we, had, we know another company up in Canada called Rover that does these like scavenger hunts where you can use augmented reality to find things that are hidden around the, mm -hmm. the, the venue. Um, again, is this, is this impacting your business, Kate? Uh, Kat, are you guys getting called into this? <laughs> Kind of we are, discussion. and we're actually, we've had a lot of conversations with some of these different companies in terms of partnerships yeah. and trying to, we, a lot of what we do is, 
advising and guiding the decision process in terms of selecting vendors for parts of the experience to make sure it's authentic for your fans specifically. It's part of that um, consultation, what they should put on these screens? Like it can be. Yeah. Yep, that is something that we do. Um, the other interesting, we haven't quite gone there yet, we've been talking about the experience specifically, but is the monetization aspect of all of this, right? All of those screens you have are, all those new screens are a new, um, potential revenue stream as you're looking at your sponsors, partners, just advertising, all the impressions that you can generate from those screens. That's another big piece of what we're starting to try to open the aperture um, of our clients with. So that way they can, you know, make sure that everyone's having an authentic experience, but then, you know, everyone likes a little more cash, right? I, I don't want I don't wanna like, you know, kick you guys in the shins, but we know that the sponsorship opportunity usually causes a lot of the operators of these venues problems because somebody comes in and they're like, hey, this guy's paying us, like, let's make sure we do this. Are, how do you guys handle that tension between what's right for the operation of the venue and what could obviously bring in more dollars for the, for the organization? Well, honestly, if it's done right as a partnership, it's a home run. Um, do you, you feel know, like it's done right a lot? Like you're brought in at the right time, you're having those right. conversations, or somebody like? I, I would say 90% of the time that we're doing, we've done it the right way, okay. where there's an initial conversation, and it's a two-way street. It's you know, it's the marketing side raising their hand and saying, hey, this is what we're trying to do, and let's get operations involved. Um, and then on the flip side, sometimes operation raises their hand and says, I'm going to buy a new jumbotron. It might be a marketing opportunity. Um, and that, I mean, that's basic business. If, you, if you're communicating, um, then I think you can solve 90% of it. Yeah. So when you, you're, you're operating this venue now before, during, and after the game, we're seeing new types of sponsors. There are new endemics that are making their way into this experience. Folks like Lyft, you know, folks like Uber, they want to be considered part of this. Ride sharing now is a big part of how I get to and from the game. Um, the ticketing vendors are doing really interesting things with biometrics, you know, clear the, the group that helps you move through the airport is now moving into some of these venues. Um, what's, the, what's the thing that excites you the most about the technology you've seen or the vendors that have pitched you or the recommendations you've made to some of your clients that you're like, yeah, I could see this really having a significant impact in the fan journey over the next five years. Can I just throw out the self-service beer machine that I can access and verify my age using my clear profile? Yeah. That's my personal. That, that's, 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 that's personally what I'm looking for. Airmark and clear at the Mets stadium. So exactly, yeah. Yeah, I would just say ca cashless is kind of the trend. Yeah. So I'd say like we'll see, we'll see our businesses dramatically transform over the next five years just on the cashless basis, on grab and goes, on, on, on your verification in beer. We're now selling 1,500 beers via beer button you know, in the arena, which automates it, but it'll change the labor dynamic, it'll change the, uh, the speed of which we transact, it can uh, certainly change our per caps like in an interesting way, so I, I would say cashless is kind of like my bet for the next five years to really transform what the, what the experience so is like. So can I put you on the spot a little bit and say who do you think is going to drive that revolution? Is it going to be Apple? I serve in first data. They're our sponsors, so that's what I'd say. <laughs> yes. I was like, Tan, that was the Direct to consumer, yes, that's okay, my answer. Good, good yes. answer, good answer. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll have to talk later, because I got an RFP out right now. Well, I can help you with that. Well, I mean, Over. So, so that, R, that RFP is going to have very different um, responses based on the strategy, and we've seen this now um, with some of the work we do internationally with the IOC and other things. It's like, 
There are laws where you can't go cashless, right? Legitimately mm -hmm. are not legally allowed to go cashless because from an accessibility perspective, you need to accommodate cash. Um, there's other situations where you go cashless and then you were hoping they were gonna use their mobile phone and the system doesn't work because of Wi-Fi or some other sort of networking issue. Um, so I do ask not, not to put people on the spot with their potential partners, but it's also like, I'm curious, is it the credit card companies that are gonna drive this? Right? I, I, is it gonna be the cloud? guys? Is it going to be the ticketing guys? Is it going to be SeatGeek and Ticketmaster and StubHub? Like, am I going to get a loaded wallet? And, you know, before, when I buy the ticket at home, am I going to show up with a bunch of cash to spend? What do you well, guys well, think? I think all of that, they're all going to be parts of it, but I would, I would put your money down on connectivity and 5G and kind of what that will do so the to kind of change. Cares will be a big deal on like what the connectivity in the building and the, and the district is like. I mean, that is really kind of like one of the solutions and one of the barriers. But everything you mentioned, access control is a big deal. How does it work? Yeah. You know, we have a big problem when you talk about technology partners and, and when we do our analytics, what are the APIs? How do things integrate together and work? So there's not one magic wand. But I, I would tell you connectivity is like when that continues to improve, that will make everything much easier to transact. Yeah, and, and you know, connectivity is key. I mean, whether it's Wi-Fi, whether it's 5G, um, and that drives your mobile app, it's gonna drive your POS technology, it's gonna drive everything. Um, but I, ultimately, I think the, it's the fan that's gonna drive it. It's, fans don't, you know, fans don't want, they wanna pay with their Apple Watch. Um, they don't wanna go to a belly up concession stand. They want grab and go. They want kiosks. They wanna order from their mobile phone. Um, so I think in terms of those types of revolution, the fans are going to drive it. Um, and that's why we have an RFP out for our POS system right now. Our system's dated, um, and there's so much better technology, and we want to partner with a company that is not only ready for today, but is ready for what's going to come five years from now. Um, but but we, f we feel when we, roll it, when we roll it out over the course of 2020, it's going to improve the fan experience. It's going to be faster transactions. It's going to give people different ways to order. You know, I love the kiosk concept. I mean, I've seen it in multiple venues. But to be able to go up and order something when you're not in a rush to get back to your seat and not have to wait in a line, that's huge. Or to order from your phone. Um, so again, it's listening to the customer, and I think that cu the customer is going to drive that revolution. I think another area where technology is, is going to continue to evolve and really impact the business is in the, the ticket purchase process and simplifying that. Um, companies like Fivo and Replyby and Groupmatics, um, they, they've really challenged the industry to find new ways to, to really streamline that process and make it easy for fans to buy tickets. You know, there's, there's an argument to be made that, that one of the reasons that, that Amazon emerged from the early 90s differently than others is because they made the buying process so simple. They kept you logged in, they had your credit card on file, and it was really easy to just click yes and buy. Um, you know, one, two click purchases and where companies are going with that. And I think that that's an area where the secondary market has really helped the, the industry, that they've, they've really Push. pushed, yeah. pushed the, the ticketing companies to either evolve themselves or um, offer, the, offer the opportunity for startups to come in and provide plugins that, that make that really easy. Um, you know, push notifications to your phone through a text message, that's a, that's a, a marketer's dream. And to, and to have that at your fingertips is huge. Um, so we are at Sloan, and um, a lot of uh, students who attend Sloan are looking for the future job or what jobs are available or what the requirements will be for the industry. In that last question, I think we touched five or six different market segments. We talked about the carriers. We talked about um, 
ticketing, we talked about access control, um, we, we certainly talked about concessions and mobile payments. Where's the biggest need for, for the young people that are looking to move into the industry when it comes to working in a venue beyond just analyzing ticketing data, right? Um, if they wanna come in and they wanna be strategic and they wanna have a, a seat at the table and they wanna be contributing to the vision of the organization, what would you, what would you recommend they, they focus on? Well, I think there's gotta be a cross-discipline. So we look for people who can ha have an understanding and be able to communicate with stakeholders across those disciplines, understand it's an operation, understand that they're P&Ls, understand that there's, there, there's data that matters in sponsorship, in food and beverage, in ticketing to get done. So it's not just your analytics person able to model, it's somebody who's able to investigate, it's somebody who's curious and able to explore, and by the way, has the core competence quantitatively to be able to model and have insights on like our trends in real time. So it's almost kind of this well-rounded person with some business acumen versus just being a quant. What would you call that? A well-rounded business person. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, think, I think that um, two, two things to me uh, I think really are important when you're starting your career. One, regardless of, of where you want to work in the, in the industry, whether it's on the ticketing technology side, whether it's on the vendor side, an agency side, a league, um, that at some point early in your career, understanding the team side and, and working for a team is important. Um, the, the nuances of, of what goes on in an organization, if you understand those, you're going to be better off regardless of, of where you want to go in your career. And, and then I'll take it a step farther, and this, this might not be the, the sexy answer for this room, um, but it's, it's something that I believe in that, back to, to, to my personal journey, understanding the customer is critical. And, and regardless of what you want to do, whether you want to work in operations or you want to work in technology or you want to work in sales, it will make you better at your job. And so finding the time to, to have those conversations, whether it is in a sales role that you do for a year or a service role, um, it, it, that basic understanding of why they do what, what they do. I mean, they are the lifeblood of our industry and, and there's nothing like it for preparing you for whatever you want to do down the road. And Kat, when you answer this, can you talk a little bit about how you got into sports? Oh, that's a great question. Well, so let me answer the first question, yeah. which is, so the way that we approach things actually, since when we get hired and brought into things, it's, you know, we want the, people want an expert in fill in the blank, right? An expert in knowing all of the payment systems out there. Um, so we usually look for people with the deep domain expertise in a specific area, but then also that sort of that corporate athlete of being able to handle an ambiguous situation, they're curious, and they can take a bunch of data and um, develop and present a solution to it, right? We've, we were just talking, one of my former colleagues is now on his team, and so we were actually just talking about uh, all the great traits that he has you know, applied in both domains. Um, He's in here, he's all right. <laughs> Wherever he is. Um, so uh, yeah, so I think that in my specific route, I have a deep finance background, and so I've been able to apply just that general financial acumen, those analytic skills, and then through my time actually in business school, learned more about the business of sport, um, about the industry, how it makes money, how it spends money, et cetera. So I've been able to apply that deep finance understanding to this industry and then just through the past five years or so I've explored other areas. I've spent a lot of time with those deep domain expertise and um, or experts and kind of just developed it myself. So it's a little bit of a non-linear path. 
Yeah, and I think in, Pete used the term well-rounded. I think well-rounded is, is incredibly important. Um, but the other two things is the ability to, the, the ability to bridge things together. Like I think if you talk about the technology front, um, I think in some ways it's easier to start from scratch today with a new building because you can do it from day one. But if someone with a technology and analytical mind who can stitch together the whole, you know, all of your technology and all of your processes, that person's really powerful. Because um, we've, we've touched on so many concepts today, you know, and like we could probably go eight hours in this panel, but you know, how do you incorporate people getting to the venue, lift, you know, public transportation, go ride cars, pedestrians, ride it online. How do you get them into the building? That's stage one. And then what do they do in the building? What do they do when they're at home? Someone who can think about it holistically and pull the different, I don't want to call them silos because they do blend, but how does someone take a look at a lot of different technologies and figure out how to maximize the use across a team? That, that person is a really powerful person. Yeah. The reason I'm hitting on this is because I think professional sports is starting to professionalize um, in the way that it runs itself as a business. And one of the things we've noticed at the Sports Innovation Lab, when we go and talk to these organizations, they're always looking for really strong technology skills, really strong analytical skills, but it's always within this context of being able to connect the dots. Um, the NFL does a really interesting program where they have a rotational program and you know the new hires get to play in different areas of the business before settling in somewhere. Um, I want to touch on one more thing before we start taking questions because this came up in our prep call. Um, you guys have started to use the Miami Heat's technology to help you. Um, that's also very new for this industry, right? The idea that you would collaborate with a competitor to share best practices, not only in advice, but the actual technology that somebody else has built. Can you, can you let people know what's going on with that relationship and, and why it's interesting? Yeah, I think it's a testament to the NBA. I mean, really, one of the most collaborative leagues from the league standpoint and from the team standpoint. The Miami Heat had, had and Eric Woolworth had basically spent five to seven years and several million dollars and, and dozens of full-time equivalents to build you know, an analytics and business insights department that, by the way, mirrored exactly what we needed, exactly what we were thinking about, all the inputs, whether they be your retail pros or your appetize or your parking that had kind of done. They, they had gotten out the kinks and really had created an unbelievable way of filling up the data lake, cleansing the data lake, all these things that if I had a magic wand, I'd say, oh my God, like save me that journey, save me that CapEx, what can we do? And I think we helped push them into how can they be a, how can they be a consulting software company to help us build our infrastructure and build our analytics and business insights, uh, uh, an intelligent platform in a big way. So really kind of just collaborating, thinking about you know, best practices, and we don't compete with each other off the court, you know, on the business side. So it That's just, a new mentality, and I mean, it's yeah. the same thing Jess does with Kager, right? Which is she's trying to get that technology into as many, as many teams' hands as possible, and they're working together to solve some of these fan journey opportunities, right? I mean, yeah, and the NFL is the same way. I mean, we're, we're competitors one day a year with 16 teams. Otherwise, we're partners. Um, and my best resource for problem solving are the Northeast NFL teams, whether it's MetLife or the Link, you know, the, uh, you know, the Ravens. Those, those are the people I call when I say, okay, you know, how did you guys do this? And the Falcons too. Um, because we all have the same problems. And if we're all getting to the right solution, it's better for the overall product. 
When, when I talk to people outside of the league and you're comparing industries, the first question I always ask is, what do you do during the offseason? And then you answer, so you do all of your work. But then the second, the, th the thing that they're most surprised about is how much collaboration there is, because it really is unique to our industry, where the people who are doing the exact same thing that you're doing are not in any way a competitor. And I think that it, it is really a leg up for the industry to be able to share when there is a new technology, when there is a new entry in, in, into the space, that it spreads very quickly. And I mean, the, the conversation here with an RFP will give you advice. Like that happens every single day, and it's it's great for the industry. Okay, so let's um, let's turn to some of the audience questions. Um, some arenas, like the Toronto Raptors, um, are building out that area outside called Jurassic Park. And anybody who watched the playoffs saw this; it was tremendously exciting. And it's now become a pattern, right, across most of the professional sports. How do you think about outside the venue experience? Um, and does that require a different approach? Does somebody want to take this? Well, I can start because we have it. Um, you know, so all of, our, all of our activations that we have on event day are outside the stadium gates um, so that anyone can come. Um, and Ticket, access control, security, do you guys worry about that? Yeah, yeah. and I mean, I won't go into our security details, but you know, there's, you know, there's, there's rings of security. So, uh, and, and the last ring is going through a magnetometer, um, but um, but outside of the magnetometer, outside of ticket taking, um, you know, we've created an, an event day, whether it's the Revolution or whether it's a concert or whether it's the Patriots, mm -hmm. you know, a fan interactive element um, for people to come and cons again consume it differently. Not every single person wants to tailgate. As, at Gillette, it's probably 98 percent. Um, so, that, so that's one piece. And then with, uh, with Patriot Place, which is you know, a 1.6 million square foot mixed use development, we're active, we're, we have game day activations throughout Patriot Place, whether it's a restaurant or a bar doing their own thing. So it kind of all weaves in before someone gets to the building. And I think as part of our next, uh, our next set of development, it's gonna further enhance that um, to make that an even more important part of the game day. Um, so, yeah, so it, 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 and for us, again, it, st it starts when someone leaves their house. And how long ago do you think this pattern of having like that outdoor thing started? What, what, what would you point to is like, is this a five year thing? This has been going on for a decade? Is it well, I mean, we, we've been open since 07. Mm -hmm. um, and I think if you had park, like, like our analysis was we have acres and acres and acres of land, right. okay? Slightly We're in Foxborough, Massachusetts, yeah. and we had, a property that was active 45 days a year. 17 soccer games, 10 football games, concerts, a couple other things. Why wouldn't you figure out how to have something that drives people to the site on other days and works in conjunction with your in-stadium product? Um, you know, so right now we have, and to put it in perspective, you know, we'll have 700,000 people come to a Patriot game over the course of a year. And we have 13 million people come to Patriot Place on non-event days. Um, so it really, for us, it really works. And we're continuing to develop Patriot Place. So every year, there's something new. Um, we had a new medical office building. We have a new Starbucks. We have some new interactive elements, permanent interactive elements that are coming online. So we want to keep building Patriot Place, but also do it smartly uh, with respect to what I call our core business. Um, you know, Patriot Games, concerts, and revolution matches. 
and I think it's evolved. Like St. Louis has done an unbelievable job. Louisville and small markets. Look what I mean. Literally, LA Live like transformed what do you downtown. Think they're doing well. LA. Are they putting well, really good screens out there? No, it's, it's curating content. So like we spend our days and nights like how do we activate? How is this a destination? In really challenging times when there isn't an event going on right. at the arena, and and in other times when there is an event, how do you extend that stay? How do you create it? We've we've got an advantage in Milwaukee is there is no central meeting place in the city of Milwaukee. We created a living room mm -hmm. in the middle of Milwaukee. We have we have weather, which sometimes is really challenging, but how do we create that destination? Whether it's a Chris Kindle Fest and we're doing 400,000 people, you know, for a holiday type of things. Whether it's a Fear Fest. Whether it's concerts outside of concerts. But, but it really is that destination. And like you said, you've got millions of people coming. Uh, people, are, people are looking for that kind of diversity in experience. And, and, you, and, and if you do it right, the, there's really two big positives for us in terms of the commute. We have some people coming earlier than they would have otherwise um, to come consume that, whether it's Patriot Place or activation. But more importantly, it's a drag on people getting back to their cars. They want to go to the bar and watch the four o'clock game. They want to go and do this. And we keep parts of our building open Would you too. ever let people camp like NASCAR? Could they come to the, you know, pay, could they could come to uh, Gillette, you know, two or three days early and have like a three day, no, wouldn't that No. <laughs> there, is, there is a lovely RV park that right up the road. Um, yeah, so if someone really wanted to camp, we can help them find an accommodation. Very good. All right. Um, so I'm sure you all have a very PC answer for this, but um, it's a question, and, and it's been in the news lately because of um, some hack that happened uh, with uh, facial identification uh, system. And the author of the article about the, the hack said that the NBA and Madison Square Garden was using this. Both organizations denied it. But this question is about how do you guys identify your fans and what are you using for uh, technology to do that? Um, I know you've been building your CRM systems. I'll soften the blow here a little bit, but how far do you go in making sure that you know who's coming in and, and attending your games? So we've got a proprietary app. We've got access control. We do not do facial yet. Intense, we will. If you talk about another thing in the next five years, like we all will, like there's not a question about that. I think that. that's just inevitable. Inevitable, like on a security basis, on, on an access control basis, like there will be facial recognition in 75% of, of all arenas and stadiums would be my bet, like in going forward. So, so we know who's holding the ticket. We want to control the secondary market as much as we can to, to kind of track the pass along. Mm -hmm. But I'd say, you know, for us, it's still not there. There's still like a gray area of we don't know as much as we'd like to know. You guys? I think that that facial recognition there's there's two two stopping points with regards to that. I think that there are a lot of companies right now who are using facial recognition and providing anonymized data, and I think that 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 is very helpful. Um, I actually think that getting to one face, one person. I'm not sure how actionable that's going to be in the in, in the immediate in the immediate future, but I think that that using any tool you can to to get a better understanding and there, there are companies out there and you, you mentioned some of them earlier who who are incorporating that into what they do with the cameras in the arena, um, and it's not something that, that we have done um, yet, but I also wouldn't be surprised if that becomes more the norm. Yeah, I I think from a security perspective I won't go into details, but I think any 
technology that can make our fans safer will be used. It's that simple. Because um, one of the biggest risks to uh, sports as we know it is a bad act happening at someone's venue. It doesn't matter whether it happens at your venue or mine, it's gonna impact all of our businesses. So we need to do everything we can um, to keep the bad guy out. Yeah, and if yeah, facial recognition is a piece of it. There's a technology company uh, in Boston called Armored Things that is this incident response uh, system for making sure that things that do happen in these venues get handled correctly. Um, one last question that was on there, and I know we've only got about five minutes left here, um, was about what we were talking about earlier, Jim, is the flexibility of the arena. Um, the assumption in the question, whether it's right or wrong, is that you're gonna need to have flexible capacity when you wanna do events of different sizes. You've probably already experienced this um, when you need to do concerts of certain size or, or a touring event of certain size. Um, eSports comes up in this context a lot because um, people want to hold eSports but they don't want it to look empty. Um, what are you seeing from a technology, design, architectural perspective that gives you a little bit more control um, when it comes to the size of the arena on game day or event day? What's exciting, what's coming? Is it flexible seating? Do things break down easier? Do you just like build a smaller thing, upper bowl, lower bowl? There's all these conversations around this. Yeah, I think we just built an arena. So I can tell you we went through, you know, 45 schematics of, of setups. Yeah. And how does it work through a curtain system? How does it work for, through a breakdown? How can we go out knowing like who the promoters are in the concert business on kind of your 3,500, your 5,000? How did you, you make your decisions? Like what was the major? Well, you made your decisions because you also had to equip. So e-gaming is like the greatest example of, you know, and as, as Jim goes through this iteration of renovation, you are roughing in more electricity. You're roughing in more conduit. You are, you know, this is right before 5G. So 5G will probably take away a lot of your Wi-Fi antennas to, to go in, but you are preparing to recreate your arena for 5,000 gamers that, by the way, want to play as if it's a convention center on the concourse and want to see competition like down in the world and, and has to be able to convert and get back to an NBA court. So, you, you know, the logistics of it is incredible, like in the operation side of it, but, you know, the, we had two years to start looking at what are all the different layouts and schematics that had to and build. did you get consensus on this or were there, there are two camps where they were like, no, smaller, bigger, like what was the? I think the more flexible you can make everything is, is consensus. So it's like where you can, where you can have the ability to pivot and, and know you're pivoting. I mean, our general space is part of that. I mean, we're, we're up in 18 months and probably we've created, you know, we've probably spent another $3 million in the last year just carving out hospitality areas, standing room only areas, high tops. And is this a fair question? How big can it get and how small can it get? Sure. Can you do that math? Sure. It can get to, it can get to a, a group of 150 intimately on, on the court surface to do an unbelievable private birthday party to, to 19,500 you know, for, for a game when we've overpacked you know, with standing room. So you know, it, it, it can get big. And I think that flexibility of size is important, but flexibility of use is also important. A good example is we, we built a standing room only area for hockey and basketball games because that's when we, when we looked at what we offered to the, to the public and, and what the market wanted, that was a product that we didn't have. But then when we look at our concert space, we, we need more suites. And so we built this place in a way so that for hockey and for basketball, it is standing room only, it's open, it's social, but it can very easily and, and organically flex to be confined suite 
private spaces for concerts and, and that it costs a little bit more on the front end to, to, to the point that you have to run extra uh, electrical, you have to have walls that move and tracks, and, um, but it's, it's worth it to, to be able to, to flex to whatever event you're having. And have you been part of this conversation in the life cycle of your work? A little bit. I think the main discussion we're having is how to advise, is how to build flexible space for multiple uses, right? And beyond just the normal use cases, right? So how can you have corporations come in and host meetings, or right? The idea of if a company buys a suite, they can actually access it all of the time to host client meetings and things, right? So one of the crazy conversations I was in recently was um, the idea of the press box, right? That's that space that's pretty exciting. Could you rent that out? Another one is around the kitchens in a stadium with things like Uber Eats and all of the different ways that you can actually get food from a kitchen to a consumer. Can you actually run your kitchens during the week when you don't actually have events happening and you actually can use that sort of still real estate most of the time into active use and something that's revenue generating? You're in, you're in the weeds right now, yeah. Well, and, that, and honestly, that was our model back um, when we opened the building. and. Uh, I'll tip my cap to Jess Gelman and the Kager, and Kager because um, she wrote the business plan when she was at Harvard Business School for how we would operate our function business. Um, and that was her first connection to the crafts. So that's going back a ways. But, um, but, yeah, but I think it's flexibility. For us, it's flexibility of space. Um, in, in an NFL venue, we can do events you know, from 5,000 to 80 if we have a Taylor Swift in the round. But, um, but there are some physical limitations when you have a building that big. But every other space that, that we have in the building, from our clubs to our suites to the new, the new things that we've developed and the things we are going to develop, literally day to day and event to event, we can operate them differently. You know, so we have, we have a pavilion called the Cross Pavilion. It's a, it's a business center during the week that's used all the time, rented, function business. Um, on NFL game day, it's a private hospitality space pregame, and then it's open to fans during the game. For Taylor Swift, in some of the concerts, they'll, do, they'll go up and do big meet and greets with fans. Uh, Revolution game day, they may activate it as a convention center and bring you know, college students in for a panel thing like this. So every space that we build, we think about how do we use it 365, and it's not just about, it has to work for the Patriots. It has to work for the Revolution, but beyond that, how does, it, how does it respond for the rest of the year? Um, and by thinking about that, I think you're just going to have a better product. Well, um, with that, I want to uh, thank these guys, but I want to use the last 30 seconds to um, remind everybody that we're in the hospitality industry. And when we're all walking around and touching each other on our elbows and kicking each other in the feet because fear is starting to dominate uh, the world, this industry thrives on the power of togetherness. And venues bring us together because sports, like no other form of entertainment, uh, has the power to change the world. So continue to be smart, continue to be responsible, but remember that um, the world is a much better place when we're all together. So thank you guys. This recording is the property of 42 Analytics and may not be published, broadcast, rewritten, or redistributed without the express written consent of 42 Analytics. Any opinions expressed by panelists are their own and do not represent the beliefs of the conference, 42 Analytics, or the MIT Sloan School of Management. 42 Analytics Educational, Inc. reserves all rights in the content.